I discovered a website this week, and you see it on the screen. It uh, mesmerized me, I must admit. In real time, it is showing you what's happening in the world's population. Look at that. One out of every four of those is born into China or India. One out of every four is born into the continent of Africa. One out of every three born into abject poverty. How many are born into war-torn places? How many are born into drug-addicted or alcohol-abusive families? As God looks at our world and as God looks at that, every one of those, a human being that he himself has wonderfully created, crafting in its mother's womb, birthing just right there as you see it live before you. What is God thinking about as he looks at our world? I wonder if God on this Sunday is weeping, saying, human race, this isn't what I designed it to be. I would have never wanted you to live in this kind of brokenness and pain. But I wonder if then he looks at us, God's people, beginning on the far side of the world on Sunday morning, Indonesia, New Zealand, Australia, as they begin to worship, and working across through Asia and then Africa, uh, Europe, Central Asia, South America, finally it's our turn. I wonder if God celebrates and says, you are the hope of the world. You, the people who have come to know me, who have allowed me to rescue you from the brokenness of this sin-filled world, you who have allowed me to realign you with me, you're the hope of the world. In fact, do you see what I wrote for you in your notes this morning? As you consider the word church, that's who Jesus called us. I wrote for you, we are people who have been called out from a human race imprisoned in evil condemnation to a rescued, realigned relationship with holy God through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Once realigned, we are then Christ's ambassadors through whom God is making his love appeal to a lost world. United together, we are Jesus' church through whom God is accomplishing his purposes of restoring individuals and families in a broken world. Do you agree with that? Church, does it kind of look like that too often? Who is the church? It's not buildings. It's not programs. It's not budgets. <laughs> You're the church. You are the church, right? Living human beings whose lives have been dramatically transformed and changed by the person and the power of Jesus Christ. But does it kind of sometimes look like that? We build big walls around the church and we say, all oh, you bad people stay out. Keep all the evil away. We're going to huddle together in this holy huddle, just us. It's not at all what God designed, is it? That second picture is more like it. You are the church reaching out to the world, spending most of your living waking hours out there. Light in the darkness. Hope in the despair. Help in the brokenness. Do you agree with that? So what did that look like this week for you? As you, God's people, lived out there in the desperation of our world like hopeful, helpful people, bringing God's hope to the world. Where did that word church come from? Jesus first used it. He said, as he was standing in a place called Caesarea Philippi in the northern part of Israel, a major trade route crossroads. Thousands of people scattered all around, buying and selling and doing the business of life. 
And his close friends were around him, and he said, So who are the people saying that I am? Finally, Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I will build my church on that great truth, my power unleash her. I will build my ecclesia. That's the word that he used. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A few weeks later, when he was gathered with his friends, you may remember, and they were eating together, as they often loved to do, he said, now, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. You'll be changed. You'll be empowered. You will be my living witnesses, ambassadors, wherever you go in life. You will affect and infect our world with the hope that only I can bring. And then, listen to this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the Christ followers, except the apostles, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men came and they buried Stephen, the first martyr. They mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered because of the persecution proclaimed, declared the word, the gospel, the hope, wherever they went. I hear you rustling your pages. Some of you know where I am. I'm in Acts chapter 8. Would you go there with me, please, for a moment? As you were listening, I might have been reading the front page of the newspaper in Kabul, Afghanistan, huh? Or many other places in the world where exactly that is happening right now. But the church, God's people, rescued, realigned, united, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God is the answer. The greatest hope for our world. Do you agree with that? That's you. That's me. That's our brothers and sisters all around the world. This was an amazing thing that was happening here, my dear friends. So I jotted there in your notes this paragraph for you. Do you see it? The church, we are people who have been called out from a human race imprisoned in evil condemnation. We've been called out to a rescued, realigned relationship with holy God through Jesus Christ. Once we realigned, we are Christ's ambassadors through whom God is making his love appeal to a lost world. United together, we are Jesus' church through whom God is accomplishing his purpose of restoration in our broken world. It's a miracle, my friends, a, a remarkable miracle. So I asked the questions right there, so what are some of the evil schemes and the tactics in our day that is trying to destroy this great movement of God? And what is God doing in response to those locally and globally? Last Monday, we had the Joy Ministries banquet here, and we had two of the women imprisoned at Ellsworth stand right here in this place and tell us the story of who they are, how the, the broken families that they were raised in brought them too quickly into alcohol and drugs and all kinds of things, and then pretty soon it was crime, and that's why they're at Ellsworth. But both of them stood here and said, but Jesus is alive and well at Ellsworth, and I met Jesus, and my life has changed 
I didn't know it, but sitting among us was a woman that I met after the Joy Ministries banquet, introduced to me by someone who said, I was here tonight because I was at Ellsworth one year ago. I was a prisoner there. I met Jesus there, and I'm now out on the streets living an entirely different life than I was before I went in. Amen? Isn't that the difference that Jesus can make in any place, in any life? Would you consider that's what the agape house is all about? And we delight having the girls among us. Troubled families, difficult families, where girls need some time away from the family. And we praise God for Larry and Becky, who all this year have been living among these dear, wonderful young ladies. They're worshiping with us this morning, as they almost always do on Sunday mornings, surrounding themselves with people very different from the ones who've hurt them in their journey in life. How about you and your journey? Where are the places that you have seen the darkness wounding too many people, but then you've seen the response of God in the lives of people who've been changed by the power of Jesus making a difference in those places? Scattered, I see it twice there. God's people scattered. What, was that just an arbitrary, run for your lives, it's dangerous in Jerusalem, or was it that God was intentionally leading them from there and putting them very strategically in different places? Remember in Isaiah 63, Isaiah wrote for us, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord, for the display of his splendor. Could you sign your name next to that in the notes saying, that's me. I'm a planting of God for the display of his splendor in the community where I live, in the place where I work, or the school that I'm a student. God has placed me there for the display of his splendor. A great persecution broke out, and all except the apostles were scattered. And those who scattered proclaimed the truth of Jesus and lived it out. One of them, you see his name right there. Look, Philip, verse 5, went to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, oh, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Paralyzed and crippled people were healed. Verse 8 says, so there was great joy in that city. This week, uh, Pastor Chuck and Pastor Mark and the others who are away on Sabbath, I was hoping that God would find portions of his word and powerfully penetrate your hearts individually and you'd come back to us changed men and that you'd uh, blend into the soup here and spice the soup of, of, of this church family with what God had done in you. That verse right there powerfully struck me. And I started asking myself the questions, God, is that true of Lake Geneva? There's great joy in that city because there's Calvary Christians that live in Lake Geneva or work in Lake Geneva. And that city has changed because of them. Is it, is it true of Elkhorn, Delavan, Walworth, Fontana, Williams Bay, where you live? An entire city was changed evidently by one man. No one particularly special. We first meet Philip, as you may know, in Acts chapter 6. And there we find out that he is one of seven the church was growing so fast in Jerusalem, more than 5,000 people, and they wanted to care for the needs of the people who had great need, but it was just too much. And so the apostles came together and said, we need to find some men, but some special men. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they need to be wise. 
so they can sit and listen to the needs and respond with the resources that God has made available to us. We call them deacons in our day. It lists seven of them there in Acts chapter 6, and Philip is one. Stephen is another. Stephen was martyred, and we had that story in Acts chapter 7. Philip, because of the persecution that broke out, God, what should I do? Where should I go? I can only live in one place. Please lead me. Evidently, that was his prayer. And it tells us there that he went to Samaria of all places. Now, you, you may remember that in, in Israel there are three provinces, counties, Galilee in the north where the lake is. Uh, Jesus was born up in Nazareth in the Galilee, spent a lot of wonderful time there. Jerusalem is the capital, if you will, the, the major city of the south, Judea. In between the two, Samaria. In ancient times, of course, all those who lived there and considered themselves Jews, they were proud to be able to trace their family heritage all the way back to one of the 12 sons of Jacob. But about 700 years or so before the days of Jesus, the most powerful army of that day came in and ransacked the north, Assyria dragged off thousands of them as captives and brought in thousands of others from other nations that they, have, that they had captured, and they began to intermarry, and the bloodlines were lost. As a result, by the time you come to this point, the Jews living up in the Galilee and those living in Judea were proud to say, we are still purebred Jews, but you half-breeds up there. And whenever Jews would travel north from Jerusalem all the way to the Galilee or south from the Galilee to Jerusalem, they would go all the way out of their way around it. Nobody wanted to walk through and defile themselves with those half-breeds. But evidently, God said to Philip, I want you to go to Samaria. It seems to me that Philip was a compassionate, tender man, a deacon, a wise man, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, he was available. God, I'll go anywhere you send me. He knew he was an ambassador. So he goes to Samaria. We don't know exactly what city. And he just starts living life normally. Smile on his face, joy radiating out of him, helping people in need, and one thing leads to another pretty soon. There's a whole bunch of folks in that town that have experienced the truth of Jesus, and the town changes so that they actually say there was great joy in that city. As things were going so wonderfully, well, Philip heard it again, a sense that God was speaking to him. Philip, pack up. I want you to leave all this excitement and, and go south. Go down to the Gaza. We know about the Gaza in our day, the road that goes down to Africa. Why? I'll tell you why. So he packs up his stuff and he goes down and listening all the while, God, where do you want me to go? sees a chariot alongside of the road, a, a big, a beautiful chariot, and in the chariot, a finely dressed man. We can presume an entourage around him, but he's a black man, an African. He comes to find out he's not just any African. He is the, the man in charge of the entire treasury of the nation of Ethiopia. He has come evidently on business, but as he approaches the chariot, for he sensed that the Holy Spirit said, go up close to the chariot, he hears the man reading from a scroll. He recognizes it as he's reading Isaiah 53. A black man, a, a very influential politician reading the Old Testament. And cautiously he says, sir, do you understand what you're reading? No, no, how I can I unless someone explains it to me? Do you know what I'm reading? Oh, yes, sir. Well, get on up here in this chariot and explain it to me. 
climbs up in the chariot. And Dr. Luke tells us that starting right there in Isaiah 53, he explains all the way to Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Evidently, this man placed his full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes a Christian sitting right there in his chariot, and looks ahead, and there's some water. He says, hey, I see water. Could I be baptized? Well, Philip says, well, wait, let me run get a pastor. No, no, no. He says, yes, of course you can be baptized. That chariot goes south, back home to Ethiopia, as far as we know, carrying the first African Christian. And the church moves to Africa. Philip goes to Caesarea. Not Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea, the the political regional capital, the stronghold of Rome. There's a military presence there. And evidently that's where he puts down roots. And years later, if you'll take the digging deeper, I'll show you that the Apostle Paul actually stops by and visits him and his four daughters. I know how that feels, four granddaughters. He was still a great evangelist, and there was evidently a church growing there in Caesarea. And available, no excuses, God anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Does that sound like you? Does it sound like me? That's part of what brought us here. Meanwhile, Dr. Luke tells us in the first verse of of Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Yes, that is the same Damascus that you see on the news today, Damascus, Syria. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was evidently becoming the way that Christ followers were becoming known. They're members of this new way of living. They're following Jesus as he leads them on the way of life. Whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners and haul them back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul answered. I am Jesus. He was having an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into Damascus. You'll be told what you must do. Saul did get up from the ground, but realized he was blind. The men who were with him led him on the way into Damascus, and for three days he didn't eat or drink. He prayed, God, what's happening to me? God, I've been a student of your word to the best of my ability. I've been zealous. I've done everything I could to keep the law, to be a good Jew. God, more recently I've been doing everything I could to eradicate this Jesus movement, whatever it is. It's wrong. It couldn't possibly be true. And in those three days, Saul, angry, hate-filled, zealous, came to understand that his greatest potential would be as Jesus changed his life, and he came to know Jesus as Messiah, his Savior. You know that he ends up writing 13 books of the New Testament. He ends up being the first cross-cultural missionary. But as he lays there in his desperation, my friends, can't you imagine the agony inside of him? What he didn't know was that there was another man in that Damascus. We meet him in verse 10. His name is Ananias, a good man, a prayerful man, a cautious man. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord. 
Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Oh, but Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest us. Go, Ananias. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Suddenly, Ananias was faced with a remarkable decision. Maybe it'd be best if I just leave him there in his blind condition. Maybe we should attack him and kill him now while he can't defend himself. Ananias, do you trust me? I'm doing something much bigger than you could ever imagine. You're a prayerful man. I'm responding to your prayers. I'm speaking into your heart with truth. I'm calling you now to take great steps of faith and obey me. Come with me. Go and put yourself in the presence of this very man who is coming here to arrest you and persecute you. And I will do great things. Courageously, obediently, he became a catalyst. As he went into that house, placed his hands on that man, prayed over that man, Saul received the Holy Spirit as he trusted Jesus. He asked to be baptized, and he was. His life dramatically changed. Now look closely and look at yourself. Are you a Philip? Tender, compassionate, caring, Holy Spirit of God at work in your life, seeking to be as wise and discerning as you possibly can be, wanting to follow God's leading in your life, fully available. Is God calling you to take some steps, some courageous steps to bring light into the darkness, hope into the despair of people's lives around you, help to people who desperately need help? Are you a Saul? Strong, self-confident, bold, type A, get out of the way, I'll fix this problem, I'll take care of it. And when God gets a hold of your life, changes you, humbles you, and can accomplish great things with you as you follow him. And he says to you, get out of my way. Let me do it through you. Are you an Ananias? Cautious, prayerful, courageous when need, a catalyst. What would it look like if every one of us in this room, everyone listening to my voice or watching it on the, the website, was able to identify, God, I, I think I understand how you have designed me, how you've wired me, my gifts, my abilities, my personalities, my passion. God, I think I understand that, that as I get my life realigned with you, what you want to do with that in me, and then through me in my world. And God, it isn't a mistake that I live in the house where I live, is it? You put me in that neighborhood. God, it's not a mistake that I work in the place where I work. You've surrounded me with the people, my coworkers, my employees, my boss. It's not a mistake that I'm attending the school where I attend, God. There are students and teachers and coaches and administration. What if every one of us could understand that as God is watching our world, he's saying to you, do you, do you have any idea, any idea 
what I would like to do in your generation, in your day, <clears throat> with you, my people, all around the world. I want you to see something. It's going to take about one minute. Now, you're going to need to listen faster than you've ever listened before. Somebody sent me this this week. I appreciate what you send me. Uh, but this person is, is challenging us to consider the, the reality of the gospel and who you are in Christ, but talks pretty fast. Are, are we ready, do Sherry? Watch this. To be a survivor in this amazing race with a need for speed, you need God's grace. And if you're desperate like housewives watching days of our lives, you can't cope without hope, and that's not on a soap. If you look into Oprah or Dr. Phil, you can shop nonstop or pop a pill, but the void won't fill and the pain won't kill till you love the one that hung on the hill. Kicking back in your lazy boy easy chair watching who wants to be a millionaire, nah, you're not going to find it there. No American Idol or Council Tribal has a final answer that'll satisfy you. CSI ain't got a clue. SVU don't know what to do. Not the ER or the OC, nothing on a CDT. TV, DVD, or MP3 can save you and me. CNN's got no good news. Here's a headline. You must choose. It's not a simple life, Paris Hilton. It's treading on thin ice, living in sin. You can be an apprentice for Donald Trump or eat Fear Factor fast food from a dump. You can be a heavy hitter, a Wheel of Fortune winner, a Fox News no-spin spinner, a flat-out sinner. But you better check this life that you're living and make sure your sins are forgiven. I bet you 50 cent Elvis Dunn came and went, and eventually every black-eyed P, Gwen Stefani, P. Diddy, and Britney, every wannabe on MTV with the icy bling, every Dixie chick that sings, they all gonna see the king of kings. I don't care if you're J-Lo or Leno or Bono. One thing you gotta know, someday you're gonna die, bro. Then where are you gonna go? Hey, I'm not talking some punk junk that's irrelevant like your grandma's church from way back when. It's not some preacher feature on TBN that you need to be liking or listening. The real superstar is Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth and the life. One day he's going to split the sky. He's the brightest light and the highest high. So what I came to say and what I'm telling you is don't buy that stupid stuff they be selling you. It's all designed to fill your head and waste your space until you're dead. Here's the bottom line of my rhyme. Give your life to God while there's still time. <laughs> now my guess my guess is most of us over 50 said what <laughs> and most of you under 25 said of course i got every word that's the way we talk am i right <laughs> so what does it look like for you and me this week the next four months the best four months in walworth county it, it, if you are a person who has trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, what do you think he'd like to do in the next four months in you, in your family? As we receive communion this morning, I want to ask you to be asking yourself a couple of questions. First, God, who am I by your design? Am I a Philip? Am I a Saul? Am I an Ananias? Or, as you saw in my notes, there was a couple of more people I was going to lead you through in Acts chapter 10, and if you'll take the digging deeper this week in my notes, you go ahead and make that study. Maybe you're a Cornelius or a Peter. God, do I understand why you have me living where I live and working where I work and studying where I study? Do I understand why you have me with the friends who are in my life, and do I understand who of those friends are helping me be all you want me to be? And who are those friends who are pulling me away from you, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for meeting with us this morning. We thank you for what you had in mind when you designed this thing called the church. A realigned people, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, united together as a movement with God. We thank you for the communion that we're going to receive that celebrates, Lord Jesus, what you accomplished when you were here 
as you paid the full price for our sin and you defeated Satan, death. God, thank you that you have made new life in Christ possible for any person. Here at Calvary, you don't need to be a member of Calvary Community Church to take communion with us. We just ask, please be sure that at some point in your life journey, you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and you're sure of that, and that you and he are in a good place this morning. And if you've never trusted him, now is a perfect time right where you're sitting. Acknowledging your need for a Savior, that you're a sinner and you know it and you can't help it. And asking God to do that great changing work in you. Because Jesus Christ took upon himself God's full punishment, he can extend forgiveness to you. He can cleanse you from the, from the sin stain in your life. He can begin to heal the brokenness in your life. And he'll do it right where you're sitting right now. Let's just stay in an attitude of prayer and worship, asking God those questions that I gave you as the men serve us the bread, please. That represents perhaps the single most significant experience, moment, event in all of history. God came here in the person of Jesus, proclaimed God's truth among us, experienced the rejection of humanity, and the pouring out of God's wrath upon Jesus, his son, for the sins of the world. This piece of bread represents, Lord Jesus Christ, your broken body, carrying the outpouring of the punishment of God so that we don't have to experience that punishment. You've taken it for us. As we receive it in your honor, we praise you, we thank you for paying our full atonement price, for redeeming us, rescuing us from the darkness of our brokenness. Let's take it together in the name of Jesus Christ. That's been the theme of our morning, hasn't it? What God would want to do with you and me if we'd let him lead us. Pastor Mark, could I invite you to pray over the cup, please? Father, we recognize that the cup we hold in our hand is symbolic of the blood that was shed by your son as he became the object of your wrath. Wrath that was by all rights to be spent upon us. Father, we recognize that your love compelled Christ to come on our behalf and suffer our punishment. And so, Lord, as we receive this, it is with profound and extreme gratitude mm. because of the promise and that is life everlasting forever. And so we thank you for it, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. Let's take it together. Lord Jesus, we worship you. 
out of hearts that are filled with gratitude, we worship you. It's been a glorious morning together, hasn't it? Anissa, could I invite you to come up here and sign from here for a moment? Would you remind all of, all of us, what is the sign for Jesus? Do that. We just sang about my chains are gone. What do you use when you describe freedom, chains gone? <laughs> we got to do that. The shackles, break them free. Pastor Chuck, would you come, please? We're glad you came back from the Sabbath safe and sound, and you brought 20 changed men back with you. Amen. Would you pray for our friends and send us out from this place? I urge you to take the digging deeper or go online and get it and study back through Acts 8, 9, and 10 this week. Don't let it just be a morning experience and let God speak into your life and propel you out into our world. And that's our prayer, Lord, that this wouldn't just be an experience for a moment or an hour, but rather, Lord, that this would be something that you use in our lives to change us. God, you have placed the Holy Spirit inside each one of us who have trusted you as, as our Savior. The, the bread and the cup remind us that we have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That you have placed your Spirit inside of us, Lord, so that we can radiate your love to a world who desperately needs to have the hope that you've placed inside each one of us. It's what Paul did. It's what Philip did. It's what Ananias did. Mm -hmm. It's what you're calling us to do, Lord. Mm. Oh, you've disguised us in all sorts of ways. <laughs> you've disguised us as school teachers, factory workers, retail workers, bosses, employees, moms, grandmoms, grandpas. You've faced all sorts of limitations on us in this world, but there's one limit you haven't placed, and that is that we can radiate your love as we go undercover into this world this week. So please, Lord God, touch this world through us with your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.